Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest in this episode is Dave Burke. Now Dave is a man with a comprehensive resume in the world of fighter aviation. He was a Marine Corps officer and pilot. He was deployed for combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. He was a Top Gun student and a Top Gun instructor, subsequently returned to Iraq to serve as a forward air controller in 2006. And after that, he was the only Marine selected to fly the F-22 Raptor. And following that, he qualified and flew the F-35B, serving as the commanding officer for the Marine Corps' first F-35 squadron. Now Dave is a nationally recognized leader in leadership, training, and education. He has been writing extensively for Business Insider, and he wrote a story that came across my social media feed several months ago on the subject of redefining perfection. And this was a story that after I read it, I thought this is someone that we need to have on the show to tease out some of these really interesting and easily generalized leadership strategies, because this is stuff that is applicable to all of us. This is a fantastic episode with lessons, concepts, ideas, and challenges that anyone in any industry or even just in our personal lives can really grab onto, find something to think about and learn about and and try to really integrate into their day-to-day work. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. When you're done listening, please take a moment to go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. really helps the show out and helps people find out about the work that we're doing here. So without further ado, here's Dave Burke. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Mark, thanks a lot, man. It's good to be here. So we're talking about the subject of perfection, and I'm going to be honest with you right up front. The concept of perfection, the idea of both striving for perfection in a constructive way, but also sloshing over into the kind of pejorative term that we've always used, being a perfectionist, which is not always deemed a good thing. That's been a struggle for me. So you write this article and you put two words in the title and I said, we have to discuss this. It's redefining perfection. So why why did you put those two words together to say, we all know, we all have our own interpretations of perfection. You want to redefine it. That's a big ask. So what, what is your definition of perfection to start with? So we can all be talking about the same stuff. And then what made you decide we need to put this redefining perfection together? It's a great question. So we could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> we could Yeah, the short answer of what my definition of pers- uh, per- uh, perfection is and, and why that article was titled Redefining. Perfection for me is figuring out and identifying everything you did wrong, uh, which right there is a, a little bit of counterintuitive there. Because I would say it's not a little bit counterintuitive. <laughs> I think you're turning most yeah. people's definitions on their head. It's 180 degrees. Yeah. And so, look, um, I think I understand where you're coming from, too. And I remember growing up. I remember uh, pursuits. I remember becoming a pilot in the military. I have all these things. And, and 
people want to be perfect. Um, or, Hey, we need to be perfect today. Hey, no errors today. We, you know, you almost get the coach speech or, or you'd find yourself in a position that you had to execute perfectly. Um, and this pursuit of perfection or this expectation that you one day will achieve it, or it's what it is you're trying to attain. Uh, I, I found myself throughout my career, uh, around people that were, uh, probably the best people in the world of what they did. I, I flew with, with the best pilots in the world throughout my career. And none of them were anywhere near perfect ever. And, and as I got older and I got uh, um, more comfortable with what I was doing and I got uh, more involved with the people I was doing things with and realizing that we need to stop talking about perfection as a matter of execution because it just doesn't exist. It's not a thing that is ever attainable. And I don't mean to imply that people shouldn't continue to strive to get better. But what I found is we go through these evolutions. You prepare for a flight, you conduct the flight, and then you debrief the flight. And the most useful, the most beneficial, most effective part of that exercise, whatever you want to call it, is the debrief. It's discovering all the things you did wrong so you can apply those next time, so you can implement them, you can teach other people about them, you build your own mental Rolodex of mistakes that you can train other guys on. Uh, and so perfection for me started to become not about the execution because I could never achieve perfect execution. It became about recognizing all my mistakes. And I think why that's such a big deal in fighter aviation and why that's such a huge part of, uh, of how I believe uh, we, we should, what we should be trying to do is people don't want to talk about their mistakes. People don't want to identify all the little things they did wrong. People don't like to reveal their errors. I don't, I, you know, I think anybody that has any ego, uh, which we all do, we don't like to run around telling everybody all the things we do wrong. It's just not natural. Uh, but after a while you come to realize that that's the best way for you to learn. It's the best way for the people around you to learn. And it's really the best way to teach folks. And so perfection for me, the definition uh, was exactly opposite of what all the things that ever been taught, which was about execution. Uh, and if your goal was perfect execution, I got bad news for you. You will never achieve. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I, I don't want you to stop trying harder and doing better and working uh, towards improving. That's not my point. But my point is, if we're going to fall short somewhere, if, or if where people mostly fall short, it's, an, it's admitting the things they did wrong. And I did too for years. That was a, a problem for me is, is revealing and identifying and, and sharing all my mistakes. So that's uh, what I want to pick up on this. You yeah. said people don't like to admit their mistakes and you're right. So for you as, a, as an aviator, were you one voice amongst many saying, hey, we need to discuss this? Or did you find yourself that that was the culture that, hey, we're going to sit in a room when we're done. Yeah. We're going to look each other in the eye. We're going to admit what we think we did wrong. And we're also going to, in a in a supportive way, call each other out on what I think you did wrong. And, yeah. and how was there that culture where that's just the way it's done, where we sit down and you have to do it that way? Yeah, there's no doubt it, it was uh, part of a culture of different organizations that I was in. So, you know, my life is in, as a Marine. I've been in a bunch of different units, different squadrons, different organizations as a Marine pilot and as a FAC, a four-year controller. Uh, I have seen squadrons, I've seen units, I've seen organizations that do the exact same job differently. Uh, you've got an F-18 squadron with the same exact airplane 
the same exact equipment, uh, the same exact training, and the personnel that have gone through all the same process to get where they are, and some squadrons are good and some squadrons are bad. And that's 100% about the culture. Uh, I have been in squadrons with a really good culture, and I've been in squadrons that don't have good culture. Where it really came uh, uh, full circle for me, where I found um, my alignment with what I was, I think, discovered and sort of naturally inclined to do, uh, and was reinforced with the culture, was at Top Gun. Because Top Gun, when you're an instructor at Top Gun, like I said before, you really are surrounded by, uh, you know, some of the best pilots in the world. Um, and when you are around those guys and you see that when you check in as a brand new guy and you see these guys that are at a level that you, you wish you could achieve and they spend hours a day just talking about what they've done wrong, just talking about their mistakes, nitpicking every single thing that they did wrong on a flight. It actually is really helpful in getting past the ego of not wanting to be discovered that you're flawed, not wanting to be discovered that you make mistakes. So when you see guys that you look up to, that you admire, that you consider better than you, and they're the ones talking about what they did wrong, it perpetuates the culture of not talking about executing perfectly, but you're talking about identifying all your errors in the debrief and all your mistakes and teaching uh, from that. And so for me, it was a combination of the culture uh, and an inclination, I think, of, of being taught over the, over the years, hey, this is where you make your money. You make your money in the debrief. You make your money in figuring out what you did wrong um, so other people can learn from it. And, and culture, and, and I see that now with the companies that I work with and business that I work with at, at Echelon Front. You see companies that have great culture and you see companies that don't. And no matter what the industry is or what they're trying to accomplish, the ones with a really great culture, they're great companies doesn't matter what they're doing. And the ones that aren't, it's because of the culture. Um, so this stuff, I think, translates really well. Uh, and then for me, like, like I said, that definition, I gave up long ago on trying to be uh, perfect in the execution phase, whatever that is. Uh, but I have discovered that if you put enough time and effort into it, you can do a really good job in explaining all the things you did wrong, and people learn from that. And it's really helpful. So then looking at the work that you've done with various healthcare organizations with your leadership work now, when you take this stuff, which is clearly, this is in your DNA now, this is a reflex. Yeah, for sure. When you have observed, because I have obviously my own takes on how we're doing in the world of healthcare, medical training on up, what is your perception of the way physician teams healthcare administration teams, operating room teams, how are, because they are teams, right? There's yeah, not, it's sure. not, it's not just the surgeon and a bunch of other people. It's not just the hospitalist and a bunch of other people. It's yeah. a, it, it needs to be a high performing team all the way up to the top of the organization. How are, how are we doing in the world of healthcare from your perspective using that lens of redefined yeah. perfection? So let me let me back up on one thing. Uh, I'll have to admit, uh, you, you said, "Hey, this is reflex. This is natural." Uh, it's much more uh, like that than it was in the past. But I still work hard. I, I look. I, I yeah. suffer from the same thing everybody else is. There's still an inclination of, "Hey, it'd be great if this mistake wasn't identified. It'd be great to just get past it." I, I still force myself uh, to try to do that. So actually, it's uh, good that you state that because it's helpful to know that. This isn't going to be a natural response. And just like anything else worth doing, 
it's going to take some hard work and we're going to have to, the conscious yeah. path is going to be the one of getting there, but the unconscious is going to say, ah, let's, let's not do it that way. That way. Absolutely. Harder. I, I, and I will probably for the rest of my life fight, uh, whatever that natural instinct that I have. And I think that all people have, uh, is to, uh, is to not reveal every one of your flaws. I mean, who wants to run around going, Hey, let's, let's spend a little more time talking about what's wrong with me. Let's spend a little <laughs> more time talking about my mistakes. Right. Right. Uh, so I still fight and work towards that. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm by, I'm by no means perfect. And is it by no means just second nature now that I do it? I, I am aware of it. Uh, I've been trying to do that for as long as I can remember. Uh, I've still got room to improve, but I think for those of us that are on the path of trying to in- incorporate that in our personal lives, our professional lives, you know, family lives, what have you, uh, it, it is an ongoing, um, uh, struggle. You got to work at it. it. It doesn't just do, uh, happen on its own and you won't just do it without thinking about it. Uh, you can certainly get better at it. You can certainly get more comfortable with it. And when you're surrounded by other people willing to do it, it's a heck of a lot easier than you're in an organiz- than when you're in an organization um, that isn't like that, which leads to your second question there. And that segue is, how are you guys doing? Uh, you guys cover the whole spectrum. Uh, I'll yeah. be honest with you. Uh, you guys, I've seen the whole spectrum and the different uh, health systems I've worked with, the different companies, and then the different hospitals inside each company. And then inside the hospital, uh, uh, the different departments, you know, I've come to learn that, like you said, it isn't just one person, uh, you know, running ER on the table there in an operating room or, or, uh, or any other function that goes on in the hospital. It's, it's a team and you've got the lab techs, you've got housekeeping. I learned that in, in, in healthcare, there isn't a single job in healthcare that I can think of, not one single job, even the most junior person on the organizational chart that can't um, uh, that, that has the potential of actually doing harm to a patient. They do, don't do their job. Food service, you get food service wrong. You can kill a patient. You get house uh, cleaning, housekeeping wrong. You can kill somebody. Uh, so everybody in healthcare uh, makes a huge impact. Uh, you can't uh, isolate someone and, and uh, give them a job where if they do it wrong, that you're still going to be okay. Everybody has huge responsibility. Um, and I think because everybody has huge, huge responsibility across all those teams, uh, we talked about lab, you know, we talked about administration, we talked about HR, we talked about the doctors, the nurses, the administrators, uh, the list goes on. I, mean, I know you're familiar with that. All those organizations internally work together to form a team. And what I have come to discover in your business is that those teams by themselves are usually really good. Where the problem comes is when they start to interact with each other. And I think for me, the classic generic example that I'm learning, and you can you can tell me what you think, because I'm really going to talk about your industry for a second. The classic example is the nurses in the labs. When the nurse deals with their patient, they are invested emotionally in care about those patients, uh, and it's fantastic. And when they need something from the lab, they need uh, results back for, for a lab right away so they can, they can provide that care for the patient and the lab doesn't give them the answer or, or the results back in a timely manner that they want, but the nurses kind of demonize the lab. And all of a sudden what you're getting is this fighting between um, uh, teams inside uh, the, the hospital working against each other. You build these silos and all of a sudden uh, the nurses will talk about how the lab doesn't get it. And then if you go down to the lab, you'll see the lab is the same type of people that want nothing more than provide the best care for their patients. And they're getting 25 different lab requests from 25 different nurses, 
all saying I need this right now because I need my patient to get the information. And what the nurses don't realize is you've got somebody crashing in the ER. You've got an OR procedure going on that, that's a higher priority. Um, you've got 10, 15 different other things. And all of a sudden, everybody else is stacked. Everybody needs it right away. The lab can't provide the support to everybody on time. Uh, and the lab is saying, hey, you know what? The nurses don't get it or the doctors don't, don't get it. And all of a sudden, you build these silos. And so the dysfunction that I've seen in that industry really comes from the inability for the internal uh, teams to work across um, uh, across with each other. And that can be dysfunctional. And the best way uh, to get past that is for them to build relationships, is for them to recognize the things that they're doing wrong and see it through another set of eyes. And the hospitals that do a really good job, the nurses advocate really well for the labs. The labs advocate really well for the administrators. The administrators advocate really well for the doctors. The doctors advocate really well for um, food service. The food service advocate really well for house cleaning. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're, they're each other's biggest supporter rather than uh, turning it back on everybody saying everybody else has screwed up but me. Uh, and when you can kind of figure out that that's just not the case uh, and that you build a culture like that, those teams do really well. Unfortunately, that doesn't mark every hospital I've ever been in. I'm sure you know that. You identified one of the key pieces that the business, the profession, and the culture of medicine is struggling to overcome, but is at least conscious. And that is what you called siloing. Because it, th those silos aren't being built. Those silos are like medieval fortresses because they've been around for decades, right? The physician Absolutely. at the top of the mountain and everyone else is subject to them and everyone else scrambles around. Those days are, are, are so far out of date. Uh, and so, but it's hard work to break that down. Yeah, they're in trash. Yeah, that's sure. right. That's right. And for, for any number of reasons. But at the same time, as you say, when you look at where the high performing teams are, I would say at the institution I'm at now, one of the highest performing teams, if not the highest, is our environmental services team. They, 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 they're outstanding. They, they crush it every single day. We, we discharged 36 patients in 12 hours That's the awesome. other day, just from the hospitalist service. You can't do that without environmental services, turning rooms over, getting things cleaned up, getting the room cleaned and ready for the next patient, as you pointed out safely. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple of days ago, I, I had an interview candidate who was rounding with me, uh, not rounding, but you know, who was going on a tour of the hospital with me, we were in the oldest part of the hospital. And he said, wow, this place looks really great. This looks really clean and modern. This is the oldest part of the hospital that he's making that observation. That's because your environmental services team takes pride in their work. They know what they're doing. They know how to do it. They know how to do it efficiently and they deliver. Yeah. It's, it's making sure though, that also, as you say, service line to service line, can understand what everyone else is doing, do some role sharing and be able to also understand when things aren't going well, how they can best support. Yeah. That, that last part is key. The parallels between uh, the medical field and the military are undeniable. And I've said this to everybody I come in contact with, and I'll say it uh, as long as I can. Leadership is leadership. The, the qualities that you possess to make you a successful leader in the military are identical to the qualities that make you a good leader in any other industry, any other private sector industry to include healthcare and anything else that you can think of. Manufacturing, construction, it doesn't matter. Leadership is leadership. 
And the idea of being able to put yourself in another person's shoes, have some understanding of what's going on somewhere else, uh, actually makes you not just a better leader, but it makes your team more effective. If the nurses want uh, better uh, and faster feedback from the labs, the worst thing they can do is tell the lab that they're screwed up and doing it wrong. The worst thing they can do is not understand what's going on inside the lab. Uh, the best thing they can do is completely do a 180, get down to the lab, see what's going on, go back to the team and go, hey, no more stat requests to the lab unless it's absolutely necessary. Those guys are getting crushed up there. They're getting overwhelmed, they're undermanned and overworked. They're doing their absolute best. Uh, and you start building those relationships. I assure you, if that nurse walks up to the lab, uh, the run, person who runs the lab and says, look, I'm in a real bind. Is there any way you can help me out? That lab tech, uh, that lab chief is going to be much more inclined to help out someone that thinks they understand what they're doing as opposed to the person that complains all the time, sends everything stat, uh, and then behind their back, you know, in the break room just says, hey, the lab doesn't get it. They're screwing everything up. You know, this is how it should be going down there. Uh, you know, that leadership, that's the same as in any squadron I've ever been in. That's the same as any organization I've ever worked in. Um, breaking down those silos, those entrenched organizational silos that are common between operations, maintenance, manufacturing, IT, uh, any other solid part of any company, you know, get those rivalries uh, can create a lot of dysfunction and leaders job is to, is to make sure that doesn't happen. So uh, then let's twist this back to where we started this discussion around redefining perfection, because while it is important that the physicians and the lab can understand each other, the nurses in the lab can understand each other. We would also want the lab to be doing that self-investigation. What are we not doing right? We're behind on our, you know, getting our lab tests out. We're behind getting the morning lab draws out to the physicians and the nurses and yeah, we're behind so every day. So, and, and from the physician side, right? We're, let's look at a, at a hospital service. We're slow getting our discharge orders done on a given day, whether we're busy or not, we're slow. That's the part where that department, that group as a whole has to sit down and say, Hey, we got to look at what we're doing. Not right here, right? We're making the right choices for medications. We're making the right decision that someone can be discharged. We're getting the families coached up, but we're doing something incorrect because we're not getting it done in time or we're not getting it. We're missing a part of it. That's where that redefining of perfection would come from. Right. Yeah. And, and to try to get specific on, on that, it, like I said, this is based on some of the things that I've seen. And, and I don't think it's just healthcare, but I've noticed it extensively. Uh, there's an operational pace there that's really, uh, it's hard to describe how fast that operational pace is. And I understand that. Um, yeah. And I think what, what happens, and, and it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's justifiable, but it's one of those things you, t- you sometimes you try to take a step back and take a look. There's not a lot of what I would call, in the military, we call it a debriefing. There's not a lot of analysis. What ends up happening is you get this, this huge rush of execution. All these things happen. Uh, and then what you would like to be able to do is stop, get the whole team together and go, hey, let's spend some time talking about how this thing happened. Uh, and before that opportunity presents itself, the next crisis is. The next issue pops up. The next thing that has to get done is staring you in the face. And the ability to vote, and I, I talked about what perfection was. My, my, my explanation of perfection is figure out everything you did wrong. That requires analysis. That requires stopping what you're doing and, and breaking down the events one by one and looking into the things that could have gone better. And that's a time commitment, and it's not an easy time commitment to make. And 
the larger and more complex your organization is, the more people that should be involved in that, the harder it is to get everybody together. Uh, what I've noticed is that in your field, the, the, there is no downtime. There's no time to just stop and figure out what's going on. Um, the problem is, is that that's where you're going to make your money is that analysis, that ability to, to, to stop and, and, like I said, break down the events and find out where the errors were and how to make it better the next time. And I think it's counterintuitive, but if we could find a way to do more of that up front, it'll actually make you much more efficient in the long run and you'll need less time to do it. Uh, but people uh, in this field have a really hard time getting the folks, the key players together uh, and coming up with the analysis, which will actually make them more efficient, more effective. You'll end up discharging patients that are healthier, faster, sooner. Uh, you'll get better uh, reviews. Um, you'll get better patient evaluations and, and the hospital actually make more money and do better and hire more doctors and do all those things that they want to do. Uh, but it seems like almost impossible for people to find the time to do it. Uh, so there's not there's not enough emphasis placed on, hey, we need to stop. We need to slow down so we can get there faster. Something else is, appears very counterintuitive. But anybody that's ever gone through a, a complex procedure and knows that they're going to continue to do complex procedures, you got to slow down sometimes and figure out what the hell you're doing wrong uh, so you can actually get better. So by the time you're the fifth, sixth, or seventh procedure, you're actually more efficient if you had gone slower than if you just sort of run through, 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 and never took any time to figure out what, what mistakes you're making. So you've uh, identified, that's a tough ask. Yeah, it is. You've identified there's two major limiting reagents from my perspective on this. One of them is exactly what you pointed out, which is the time factor. It's a, it's a pressure-filled day. And the comeback to that is looking at the process of what's called the surgical timeout. Before a surgery is started, a timeout, exactly those words, a timeout is called. A checklist yeah. is reviewed to make sure very specific things are done. And that is now a core measure. That's not an optional thing anymore because it's effective. Yeah. So we know that we can validate it. We know we can do it, but it's generalizing that to other parts of the work that we do outside of the operating room, right? Generalizing it to when we're rounding or when we're doing physical therapy or when we're doing a discharge plan, that's where it becomes a challenge. But the yeah. second limiting reagent gets back to what you were talking about before. And that's the culture side. And for the physicians, <laughs> my experience, I'm one person, but I went through the same thing that lots of other people did when I was a medical student at one of the best medical schools in the country. The debriefs were conferences that were called morbidity and mortality, M&M, and they were usually once, perhaps twice a week. They were generally when you were on your surgical rotations, and they were a bloodbath. <laughs> they were dreaded. It was really, really uncomfortable. It was one person up there getting roasted, and these were the best at the, what they do, roasting people for it, and it it lays in – Right. It's, we've already pointed out this is already hard work to do this to redefine perfection, to seek out what we did wrong, discuss it openly and honestly. When your mentors are demonstrating a behavior that makes it awful and embarrassing and humiliating and something that is dreaded. And that's been the culture for a long time. That's a problem. Yeah. There's no doubt. I'm, I'm working on a piece that you'll see at some point in the future. Uh, and I won't go into all the details, but. One of the things that you said is exactly almost verbatim the way I describe it. Uh, in our my old business, they were called women, the junior guys. They would show up, they'd sit in the back, they wouldn't say a word, and they'd watch how the debriefs would go. And whatever they saw modeled to them, they would emulate that when they became the leads. Yep. Uh, they just 
do what they were taught. And if a squadron is, is like that, where the debrief is just uh, an assault on somebody and it's uncomfortable and it's miserable and everybody sits in the back and it just it's, it's painful and brutal, they just come to realize, hey, that's how we do business. Um, and they're going to perpetuate, they're going to perpetuate that culture. And if you happen to be in an organization or a squadron that, that the debrief or the analysis is, uh, you, look, it, it can be painful and you got to spend a lot of time doing it. It might not be all that enjoyable, but you see that open willingness to say, Hey, look, Hey, I'm not, we're not done here. I actually made another mistake that nobody saw inside my cockpit, uh, that I realized that I did wrong. I'm going to tell everybody about it. I could have very easily skipped it and gone past it, but I'm comfortable to tell everybody. So you don't make the same mistake that I did. People in the back are witnessing that too, and they say, oh, that's how we do it here. Okay, that's the culture of this squadron. That's the culture of this particular organization. Then I'm going to perpetuate that culture. When I'm the lead, I'm going to stop and go, hey, nobody saw this because I was inside a single-seat F-18, and, and uh, nobody else knew this happened. But in my cockpit, I did these things that were wrong, uh, and I'm just going to tell everybody about them. So in case you're making that same mistake, you can either improve them, or if you're about to go do something I just did, hey, you can avoid the mistake that I made because I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, and those are just two different cultures and, and, and they're both going to get perpetuated no matter what, uh, depending on what's modeled and what's seen there. And, you know, a little bit off subject, but, but you talked about this in your field, you talk about this entrenchment and things that just, this is the way it's always been. Uh, there's another big irony in, in, in the medical field is that your, uh, your industry has been a huge beneficiary of technology, uh, and the technology pace of change in healthcare is very rapid. And you remember this, I'm sure, you know, I'm preaching the choir here, but you know, it wasn't that long ago for guys like you and me that if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to find them. You had to go <laughs> to their office. Right. And if you maybe got lucky, you grabbed them on a telephone, like a landline. Our ability to interact with each other simultaneously from anywhere in the world is infinitely greater than it was just 10 years ago, let alone 25. So that analysis of getting all those, you don't need to get everybody in a room. You don't need to get everybody in a conference room and get all the different. We actually have the technology right now for all the key players and all the key participants in any event, in any organization in the hospital to actually communicate real time. And if they took five, 10, 15 minutes or, or even just 30 seconds to do the wave tops, that's all you had. The technology is actually there for us to interact without having to find each other. And go down this hallway. He's down in the second office on the left. Oh, he's not there. What do I do? How do I find Mark? Well, he was here. I'm going to go down to the break room now. You don't need to do that. You break out your, your smartphone. You break out your tablet. You can uh, do a whole host of things that you couldn't do 15 years ago. So our technological ability to interact is tremendous. And we still don't take advantage of that opportunity. So that confluence of technological development actually bringing us together, in theory, could be a great facilitator for us communicating with each other about our mistakes Things are did right and wrong, capturing those lessons real time to implement them for the very next process. Uh, so there's awful opportunity, uh, a lot of opportunity for improvement there as well, because technology is facilitating uh, something that you couldn't have 25 years ago. When you entrench these uh, silos and entrench this way of doing business, is really hard to break. So there's there's room there, and I just we we're not taking the full advantage of it. Yet. I think that you may have just articulated the counter argument to the I don't have enough time. <laughs> right that you just you say well no we do let let's just try it let's just try this for five minutes and we're going to say at 4 45 unless you're doing something emergent stop what you're doing get on skype 
We're going to have a conference line open. We're going to pick one case from the day and we're going to review it. When you're a resident in training and a medical student, that's morning report. That was an hour conference every day. It was the best. And that was, you know, a resident would stand up. They'd present a case that they'd admitted the night before. All the attendings were there. All the medical students were there. But like you say, the behaviors that are articulated, that's what's going to perpetuate. And that's what us as leaders in medicine and everything else, you can just never, ever forget every eye is on you. And the other example, right, I, I talked about what those M&M conferences were like, senior residents are being reduced to tears, like this is not good. The flip side, I remember a guy who's about to graduate, he's going to go off to do his fellowship in nephrology and kidney medicine, and he's working through a really, really complicated derangement of a patient's acid base status and the attending is walking him through it step by step and at the end you can just see this person recognize that a, you know an error was made the the road forward to fix it is clearly mapped out the whole room is fired up because they've just learned what happened and how to avoid it this guy's gone off to become one of the best nephrologists you could find so it's 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 obviously doable but it comes all the way back to where we were f- 30 minutes ago, culture yeah. and how we frame it and how we set people up so that when we say, Hey, we're at 445, we're going to stop what we're doing and we're going to review something that they know, Oh my God, this isn't going to be getting raked across the coals. This is going to be something constructive. Yeah. And I keep uh, giving away more and more pieces of this, uh, this thing that I'm working on now, but if this is you- a teaser trailer, you're not giving yeah, out, this is yeah, people like, it. give me the article. I want to read the whole thing. If you create a culture where people think they're going to get crushed for making mistakes, they're going to hide their mistakes from you. Right. If people think they're going to get hammered uh, and publicly humiliated and get crushed for doing things wrong, they're going to hide things from you. And it's going to, in the long run, it's going to devastate your organization because eventually somebody's going to hide something that gets somebody hurt or killed. Uh, that's, That's true in combat. I can assure you it's true in the military. It's true in fighter aviation. I know it's true in healthcare. It's true in any any field, in any industry where lives are at stake or livelihoods are at stake. If you create a culture where people think they're going to get crushed or doing something wrong, they're not going to tell you when they do something wrong. It's just not that complicated. It's it's human instinct. Uh, And our instinct of managing what that consequence is going to be and determining our behavior based on that consequence it's it it's not it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out how people's behavior is going to be. Uh, if I put you up in front of the room and I lambaste you and humiliate you and reduce you to tears in front of your peers or worse, the people training to become like you, those people are not going to look forward to that. They're going to do everything they can to avoid that, to include withholding things that actually will help other people do their job. Uh, and in that business, that doing their job well means keeping other people alive. So uh, it's a critical thing to get the culture right. It doesn't happen overnight. Changing culture is hard, but I assure you, I am absolutely 100% sure it's possible. And it just requires leadership. It's super hard. It takes a ton of work, a massive amount of personal investment, uh, some blood, sweat, and tears, but it works. And the reason I know it works and the the reason you know it works too, like I said, there are good F-18 squadrons and bad F-18 squadrons. There are good hospitals and bad hospitals. There are good doctors and bad doctors. There are good leaders and bad leaders doing the exact same thing right now. That's why some companies succeed and some companies fail uh, that are doing the exact same thing. It's about culture. It's about leadership creating that culture. Um, 
it's easy to say, it's really, really hard to do. Uh, and a lot of times the thing that gets in the way is our egos. It crushes us uh, to have to admit that we're flawed. Um, so <laughs> I'm going I'm to jump right on that because yeah. that was exactly where I wanted to go next is this issue of ego and what I was thinking about in terms of ego sublimation. And what I mean by that is you're the leader and I'm joining your team. Is there ever a part of the onboarding process or the mentorship process where you sit down with someone who's new to the team and either privately or as a group, you say, look, we have to be able to do this hard work where we can admit our mistakes to each other, dissect them, learn from them, and keep track of them so we don't do them again. But we have to be able to sublimate our ego, to set our own ego aside. I'll do it. I want to help you do it. It may be really difficult. Does that interaction take place or do you just do it, that specific interaction, right? Or does it just yeah. happen by the role modeling where, hey, come sit in the room and watch us and mirror our behavior? Do you do both? Do you do one? How does that work so that people can learn yeah. that not normal response of setting ego aside to try to get the best result? I think you need both. Uh, and, and one without the other, um, if all you do is talk about it and don't model it, that's useless. I can sit you down and say, hey, Mark, the way it needs to be around here is we set our egos aside. We're, we're honest. We're open. We're candid. And I go through this whole list of superlatives. And then when you see me get up there and demonstrate that and I don't follow through on that, those words are meaningless. So in my experience, you know, in bringing in new guys uh, in organizations, I've been new guys in I've been a new guy in an organization several times in my career. You always get to sit down. You kind of get the explanation from the boss and how things are, or how the way he wants things to be. But the thing that really reinforces that is 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 what's demonstrated and what's displayed. Um, it's really easy and it's very common for people to say, "Hey, this is how it is around here. We, you know, we set our egos aside. We do this and that." Uh, and then when you get up there and you start to realize that this is simply not the case, um, the modeling is, is, is critical. And when it's modeled from someone that has a great reputation, I remember, you know, throughout my career, I kept on, uh, and if you ever listen to me on Jocko's podcast, I talk about my, the continuum of being a fighter pilot is, you know, you get through flight school and you're at the top of your class and you get your first choice of airplane and you think you're great and you show up and you're the worst guy in the squadron because you're brand new. And you work really hard and, and, and you do your best. And one day you're, you're really good and they tell you you're going to go to Top Gun as a student. You think you're the best you, you could be. And then you get there and you just get crushed by all the instructors at Top Gun because they're better than you. And then you come back as an instructor and you're the junior guy. That, and throughout my career, over and over and over again, I'm repeatedly just getting annihilated by people that are better than me. Even at the top of my game, I still have get those those humbling experiences where I just recognize they're just already there's always going to be somebody somebody better than me at what I'm doing. When those people who you look at and go that guy, when even if you don't want to admit it outwardly, you know to yourself that guy is better than me. When that guy demonstrates the humility publicly to talk about the things he did wrong, that's a really really powerful tool. So my goal. Uh, and the way I talk about it now, what my goal was, and again, <laughs> I'm a work in progress. That goal was always to be as good as I can possibly be and try to be better than everybody else. I'm always trying to be, be certainly at my best and then re reveal your flaws and knowing that that's the most powerful tool is when I saw somebody who I thought was better than me and then they demonstrated this behavior that was admirable, that's really compelling. And you go, look, that's my goal. I want to be like that guy. I want to be as good as him. And I want to be as good a teacher as he is. Um, and when you see guys that uh, that can't do that, that message 
will override whatever language is used by saying, hey, check your ego and be honest and open and candid and tell the truth and blah, blah, blah. And then they don't, they don't do it. Uh, that speaks volumes. So you got to do both. But without a doubt, for me, in my experience, it's what's demonstrated is, is what's followed. And, and, and again, that's, I mean, that's leadership in a nutshell. Right? That's leadership it's, in a nutshell. That's just yeah. what I was about to say. You just wrap that package up perfectly that it's a tall order to lead, but it's, it's, it's articulating the right message. And then it's leading from the front. It's, it's showing the right message. It's doing it the right way and calling yep. it out when you don't. Yep, Absolutely. How do we find the work that you're doing? People are going to want to dive into some of this really challenging material that you're putting out there and these ideas that it's hard work, but it's work worth doing. Where do we find you? So uh, as, as you know, I work at Echelon Front. Uh, Echelon Front is a leadership consulting firm. It was started by uh, Leif Babin and Jocko Willen, the two Navy SEALs that I was lucky enough to work with uh, when I was in Ramadi. I took a year out of the cockpit and I flew uh, most of my career, I spent a year as a Ford Air Controller uh, in the Battle of Ramadi 2006, and I happened to be aligned uh, at the same time with SEAL Team 3 uh, Task Unit Bruiser. That was Jocko's task unit, and Charlie Platoon was Lace Platoon. Those guys came back, captured all those lessons learned, and started a company called Echelon Front. Uh, and I work with those guys every day, and we work with companies every day talking about these exact same things you and I just talked about, Mark. This stuff is universal. There is not an industry in the world, not a profession in the world that this doesn't apply to. If you want to get a hold of anybody at Echelon Front, go to echelonfront.com or email dave at echelonfront.com. It's super easy. Um, and how about, the stuff that you, how about the work that you've written, the articles that you've been putting out there, your, yeah. you know, social media, those sorts of things? Absolutely. So uh, the, the beauty of social media is that uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's all Echelon Front. Uh, to find me specifically, uh, I think um, – uh, the the easiest way to do it is is via email, but social media again you can go to uh, it's a little complicated. David R Burke uh, is my Facebook and my uh, my Twitter. But if you want to hear some, uh, read some of the things I've written about a Business Insider, I contribute there uh, somewhat regularly. Uh, Dave Burke uh, as a contributor, Business Insider. I've talked about perfection. I've talked about um, responsibility, things like that. And, and you'll see some, some of the pieces that are in there and you can certainly just, uh, Jocko and Leif are, are pretty prolific on there as well. Uh, you can find us, uh, there, um, kind of across the board there. And, uh, Jocko's got, a uh, a, a, a great following. He's got some awesome, uh, access there. He's got the podcast, which is just unbelievable. The Jocko podcast. I was a guest on that podcast, uh, as was Leif. Uh, and that's just leadership, uh, every week he brings up uh, either a new book or a new guest or, or a new topic. And it's just, uh, it's just leadership. Like you said, uh, is the most important thing. There's no question about that. And, and that's what that podcast is about. And that's what the company is about. Well, this has been really, really motivating, eye opening, challenging, not a little daunting. That's okay though. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to come and, and talk with us and share some of these really, really lofty and important ideals. Yeah, you know, look, it's been great to be here. I didn't realize how fast the time went. We could certainly do this uh, for hours. And, and <laughs> it's the subject, the subject I care about. Like I yeah. said, I came from the Marine Corps for, for 23 years. This stuff matters. Failures, uh, things that don't go well. We're always looking for reasons to blame. The market, uh, the environment, the product. But it, it's always about you, and it's always about how you are as a leader. Uh, that is the solution to everything. So for me to get to continue to, to – 
to learn and grow and, and then to, to help uh, with that subject, which I think is the most important thing in the world. It's, it's a thrill and to come on here with you and talk about it is just, it's awesome. Uh, I really, really appreciate being here. I hope you have me back someday. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.